Water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived in harmony. Then everything changed when fun fiction attacked. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Fun Fiction, the show about movies, media, and how the internet ruins it. I am your host, Scotty Moore, joined this week by... Oh, I guess I need to keep things anonymous. I gotta keep things... Yeah. Gotta keep things (laughs) under wraps. We can't say your name because you're, of course, the host of Associates Anonymous... And you go only by the name of Sweeps, if that is your real name. Yes. Uh, so before we get into the topic, before we get into the topic, would you like to just tell the viewers what Associates Anonymous is about? Yes. So, um, like he said, I'm Sweeps. I'm happy to be here. And Associates Anonymous is the podcast where we kick it with you every Wednesday to discuss the horrors of working in customer service, where me and my co-host giggles. Kind of just pick a random topic every week and dive into some of our many, many, many experiences dealing with bitches and assholes mm-hmm. regarding that specific topic. So yeah. that's about what it is. <laughs> and as a man who once tackled a baby at a Build-A-Bear workshop, I'm very oh. much like, oh, I'm down with this. Okay, so the topic of your guest episode is specifically all about tackling babies. i want to know every time you've tackled a baby in your entire life retail or otherwise go i think the only thing that i know that can top that is we had a listener send in a story for a recent listener episode where someone puked on a baby in a popular (laughs) breakfast chain oh my god what i'm surprised i haven't drunkenly done that myself so kudos Mm -hmm. yeah i once worked at a theme park where someone abandoned a baby during i mean i guess i shouldn't reveal the theme park but it was a very horrific night near halloween and someone just left their 13 year old child there alone with their own devices and i'm like okay y'all good work but i mean depending on what he did he probably deserved it so i mean (laughs) yeah well, it was a her, which made it even weirder, so I was like, come, come child, I must protect you. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> but 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 enough of recording. Apparently, we just started recording your show in the middle of it. Yeah, we need sorry. To talk, yeah, we need to talk about the subject this week, which is Avatar, The Last Airbender, a show that I had not seen before this. Shame, shame. <laughs> Well, it's because, like, as a kid, and I guess as an adult as well, I always preferred, like, goofy, weird shows. Like, I liked Angry Beavers and sh- and sh- Freakazoid and shit like that over, like, Rocco's More, or, uh, Rocco's More Than Life, over, uh, like, Hey Arnold. Because I, I was that. like, that's, because uh, I'm like, Hey Arnold, that's real life. I don't want to revisit real life. And I guess Avatar is not real life, but it's very, I discovered this as I said, as I sat down yesterday thinking, I can binge all eight hours of this first season. This is just a thick show. It really is. It's surprisingly girthy. Yeah, like it's a rich chocolate cake of a show where I th- I think we had finished four episodes and I was like, oh yeah, we've got to be like halfway through. Oh no, we've got such a long road to tow. And what you will come to learn is the first season doesn't even hold a candle to how thick the plot's going to get starting in the next season and thereafter. Well, it's also apparently a lot better in the coming seasons, correct? Yes, there's a lot less filler. There's a lot less minor secondary bullshit going on. And the the plot just gets really good and it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, because I'm not usually a binge guy. So that made yesterday almost like a trial of Hercules for me because... (laughs) Like, a show like Gravity Falls or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's like a, it's very light, so you're like, I, right. you can sit down, you can sit down and be like, yeah, I can watch like 10 episodes of this on accident. You can't watch 10 episodes of Avatar yeah. on accident. This is one of those shows that's like, I can't step out for a cigarette unless we're paused, otherwise I'm gonna miss something. Like- yeah. I, dude, I feel bad, I fell asleep during an episode. 
And when I walked... Which episode, though? It was the... Because we had to buy the series, so that's the most I've ever invested for this show. We had to buy... uh, We had to buy the whole series, and they broke up the Winter Solstice episode into two bits, and it was during the latter half of the second part of the two-parter. Literally the only important episode before the Siege of the North. Way to go, Scott. Yeah, I know. Like, I just woke up and was like, hey, what happened? Yeah, they they exploded, and also he met the former Avatar. I was uh, like, he turned into a fire-breathing daddy and, like, <laughs> burnt down a fucking temple. Like... You need to rewind it. Like, yeah, I was say, fall asleep during the Great Divide. You're good. That's the worst episode in the entire series. Oh my but, god! <laughs> thank you so much. The only good, like, I literally we were binge watching it over the weekend too to catch up, and because I I haven't watched it for like a couple years. Yeah. I've been binge watching Cora, but um, that was the episode where I was like, well, I'm gonna get up and make dinner, and yeah. y'all can all sit and watch this because this episode sucks a massive dick. Like, I'm done. <laughs> it's the most violently heavy-handed show. Because, like, there were things where they had to deal with, like, intense topics like sexism, which was a very good episode. Where Sok- uh, The Kiyoshi Warriors? Yeah, yeah. Where, Sok- where Sokka basically reenacts the plot of The Wicker Man just without the end bits. <laughs> Um, so that was... Spoiler alert, that is what my fanfiction I wrote for this episode is about. Oh, okay. Um, but, like, the Great Divide, the only good thing about it is the fact that one of the characters was voiced by the same guy who voices Robin in Teen Titans. You know what? We were having that discussion because, uh, my friend Sweet Pea and my other friend, who I don't know a nickname for, so I'm not going to say it, they were like, who the fuck is that voice? And they were in the whole forever doing it, and they they figured that out in the middle of it. So mm-hmm. I'm glad y'all caught that, too. I got lucky because Amazon Prime, you can pause and, like, x-ray it. So I x-rayed, and I was like, Titans, go! Yes! See, I'm I'm a loser. I just have them all on DVD. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, like, the episode is so heavy-handed about the concept of, like, oh, no, these two characters don't get along. It's like there's a divide between them. Also, they're going to go to a canyon, which is a giant divide between two areas of land. And then later, there's a point where Sokka and, um, oh, God, why have I already forgotten her name? Katara. Katara. Like, they're arguing, and there's just a giant rock between them with Aang in the middle. Yeah. It's the plot device rock. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, you couldn't have tried harder to make this obvious. That makes me think, I'll have to send you the link to this, but it makes me think of the, uh, there's this old abridged series of Avatar on YouTube. Oh, no. And in yeah. the first half of that Winter Solstice episode, Katara is just like, "Here, have this plot-solving acorn. It has the power to resolve the plot of any episode." Like, <laughs> That's same great. concept. Yeah, because um, there were moments during this where I was like forgetting I was watching a kids show because this is a very heavy kids show. Oh, uh, and it even it just gets more and more and more heavy. Like I've always, this yeah. is what I've always told people about Avatar because it's literally one of my favorite shows. I have. Actually, I don't know if you can see it. I have a huge chunk of my sleeve dedicated to Avatar, actually. Oh, that's awesome. The other side is Pokemon. Woohoo. But um Of course. But yeah, the uh people are always like, Yeah, yeah, that was a cool cartoon. That that was a cool kids show. Did you grow up watching that? And I'm like, Yeah, but I mean it's it's really honestly like its own genre. It's like good family entertainment. Like it's not over the top where kids can't enjoy it. But yeah. it's not so undermined in the writing and the character development that you go back and watch it as an adult and you're like, oh, this is fucking stupid. Like, it's so, it's so good. I could, well, I could well, go on you, and on about that, but I won't. I'd almost argue this is like teenage cartoon, like cartoon for a teenager. Because, like, I feel like a lot of it would go over a kid's head. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And when you get I, into I like say- Legend of Korra, it's even more so like that because the bad guys are darker and all the characters are a bit older. They're in their later teens, so it's they kind of cut all the like goofy kind of stuff out in that one, and it's it's a lot heavier and like just has a darker vibe. I personally, yeah. unpopular opinion, prefer Legend of Korra over the original series because of that. I really want to watch Legend of Korra. That's the main reason I want to go through Avatars to get to Legend of Korra. It's so worth. 
Yeah, mostly and this is the lamest reason to ever want to show watch want to watch a show ever. Is to get to the spinoff. <laughs> well, no, 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 it's because I saw an ASMR video where they were Korra helping you after a battle, and I was like, "This is amazing! I need to watch the actual show." It's good. It's so good. I can't wait mm-hmm. for you to get to that one because it's just the Avatar: yeah. The Last Airbender is a masterpiece, and then Legend of Korra is a masterpiece, but in like mm-hmm. HD. And it's just—is uh, it bad part? Is it bad part of me? Almost wanted to say fuck it to watching the first season of Avatar and instead watch the really garbage M Night Shyamalan film and just come in with, "Why do you like this so much? It's really not good." It's really funny you should mention that because the last time I binge watched the show was with my my actually my co-host on on my podcast. She had never watched it. And I was watching Legend right. before, and I'm like, we got to cut this shit off. You got to start from the beginning. And we binge watched it, and she's officially like a member of the fandom. And we were talking about it last right. night. And my friend Sweet Pea's like, you're not a member of the fandom because you haven't watched M. Night Shyamalan's, you know, abortion of a <laughs> film. Like, you have to suffer through that. Like, so that's our, that's next mm-hmm. on our list is to force her to watch that. I haven't watched see, it my since ver- it theaters, so. Yeah, see, my version of that was going to see Dragon Ball Evolution in theaters. Yeah. Oh, that was very painful. I'm not even a Dragon Ball Z fan, and I got drugged to the theater to see that, and I was like, this is an abomination. Like, I've seen literally 45 minutes worth of Dragon Ball Z, and I know this is garbage. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, with me, it was during that time in high school where movies were an excuse to go make out with your girlfriend, and I've never had a more furious makeout session <laughs> of, like, they got, they got it all fucking wrong. Son of a bitch, why is Goku white? <laughs> I couldn't have I couldn't have made out in Avatar, you know, The Last Airbender, because I was too busy fucking crying at all the mispronounced names, <laughs> and... I would have. Yeah. She would have drowned. She would have just drowned. They're like, they're like, Aang is coming in. Welcome, Aang and Soka. Ong, Soka, and Katana. Like, <laughs> and they, and they completely w- cut the um, the Kyoshi Warriors out of the film, which I was like, that sucks. And I don't think Jet was in it, and I was like, that sucks. And the Firebenders couldn't actually create fire with their hands, and I was like, that's stupid. I just, uh. Mm. Yeah, Jet can go suck a hot dick. Yeah. Jet is the worst. He is such a douche. He is such a Jet, douche. He's such a douche. Jet, but how typical? Favorite, how typical Katara? She's like, I want to hear his side of the story, and he's like, yeah. he mugged an old man, and she's like, I'm sure he had his reasons. Like, no, yeah, like the very first thing she says after Sokka goes, because like. I was on a very negative Sokka train until that episode, because he is a little shit during that first bit of the series. Yeah. They all develop a lot, though. Yeah, and I remember complaining to my girlfriend about Sokka. I was like, I hate this guy. I don't like him. She's like, he gets better. And the very next episode we watched was the first one with Jet. And, um, like, the best part of it, and this is probably the first time they stepped outside of the realm of being a kid's show is the concept of at the end of that episode in a kid's show it'd be like oh they saved the dam everything's all right their village is saved no they're like village is fucked the people are good but the village is destroyed nickelodeon was just like real world talk little assholes like that nope it's (laughs) over like (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say, uh, speaking of villains, Jet I have no sympathy for. However, the other day, me me and my girlfriend, we got into an argument about Draco Malfoy and whether mm-hmm. or not that he's a good, redeemable human being, which I firmly believe is a Slytherin. And she was like, well, there's not enough backstory in the books. There's not enough to really validate any of your arguments. And then we came into Avatar, where there's so much to validate why the villains are good people. Yeah. yeah. I, the Malfoy thing, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, too. You really have to kind of dig into the meta of the Harry Potter universe and the background to redeem him. But I do believe he is redeemable. But at surface yes. value, if you're just a fan of the movies, or even if you're just a fan of the books, he's kind of just a big old douchebag till the end. But I'm, I'm yeah. on that train with you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, Iroh is easily my favorite human being oh, in the entire series. Oh my god, yes. He is... Like, the mo- <laughs> someone when we were watching was like, 
like so they said something about Iroh, and I was like, that's because Iroh was a goddamn angel sent from heaven. Like, <laughs> get out of my house if you disagree. You're not welcome here. We don't need that negativity. Mm-hmm. Well, not even that. Like, Pr- Prince uh, Zuko mm-hmm. is also fucking awesome. Like, there was the uh, episode early in the series where he's fighting against that general, and it, like, beats him in the battle, and I'm like, I'm like, the the show is forcing me to root for the bad guy right now, which I've never seen before. And even at the end, whenever the ocean spirit's fixing to drown him, he's like, you've been a big old douchebag, but here, I'll save you. I'm I'm so happy he's dead. Fuck Zhao. Oh, yeah, yeah. Zhao is the worst. He is a huge douche. I hate him. He's, speaking of, related to what we were just talking about, I believe he was also voiced by Lucius Malfoy. Oh, my God. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Yup, there you go, son. It all ties together. I I, I don't know if yeah. I ever picked up on that. I'm I'm appalled with myself right now. Oh my god. Yeah. So okay, best episode in uh, season one. Which one do you think? I honestly, man, that is a tough one. Yep. I really do like the Kyoshi Warriors episode. The Kyoshi Warriors one, that was the first one that really, like, woke me up and got me focused on, like, oh, okay, I see how this is. I really like that one, but if if I had to pick a favorite, I honestly really like the Siege of the North. Um, just because I would, I would definitely be Water Tribe if I existed in that universe. But um, oh, yeah, I yeah. really liked them getting into the lore behind, like, the moon and ocean spirits and there's the whole concept of him slaying the moon and it throwing off balance and... Like, oh, they did yeah. such a good job with that. I have to say, that's my favorite episode in that season, is the end of that season. Um, With me, and mostly because this episode reminded me a lot of the way I write when I write things, but it was the King of Omashu. That one's a fun one, too. <laughs> I do love King Boomy. It's so... King Boomy is my favorite. And what's bad is, like, usually if I can figure out the plot twist, I get less interested. I was more right. interested. Because the minute he comes out and is like, hello, boys. I'm like, that's fucking Boomy. You can't fool me. I know it. You can. Yeah, like, um, I- everyone knew. Everyone knew in the audience. But it was still so good. <laughs> they, I mean, like, if they didn't make Boomy look so fucked up in the original flashback they cut to where he looked, if he didn't already he look like looked, he had snorted a bunch of fucking crack like <laughs> yes like like he looks like a my hero academia character whose superpower is adhd <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect perfect analysis of that character Descri- mm-hmm. oh that is also the episode that features the introduction of the one running joke that i knew of from the series cabbage merchant and that is a my cabbages i yeah. almost almost wrote that as my fan fiction just all about cabbage man my initial plan the cabbage was like Patch over kid. the course of all three episodes it was going to be the cabbage man plotting to assassinate the avatar but i scrapped that. Oh. <laughs> oh i might that's still very good it, though but... <laughs> yeah um yeah with with me going back to that asmr video they even put in a My Cabbages reference to it. Like, in the middle, she's just like, okay, now let's heal you. Now, I gotta make sure to set fire to something. And they're like, she, you see her bend fire, throw it out, and then you hear someone in the background go, My Cabbages! <laughs> like, oh, okay. You're gonna, you're gonna have to send me a link to this video. Oh my god, it's very good. She's done like three Avatar videos, and I'm like, I can fall asleep to all of these, yes. I'm like borderline disturbed by it, but I'm also just morbidly interested, so I'm gonna have to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, one thing that I think probably is my favorite thing in the series is just the humor, because mm-hmm. it's so good, because it's like, because like there are some shows like Gravity Falls, which is honestly one of my favorite shows on television, but the jokes are basically a machine gun. Five out of every ten will hit, but they'll hit you good. Avatar's like a sniper, 
You don't expect we were, the laugh, we were and about then that it when happens. We were I was like, you know, because we all watched this when it was first airing when we were kids too. So I was like, I feel the fundamental base of my sense of humor was a combination of just Team Avatar's just blatant fucking sassiness with one another, and Team Rocket's use of really shitty puns just like collide, and then my my mother's foul mouth. Yeah, and that that's where I came from. That's that's where I am now. But yeah, like, yeah. I think one of my favorite ones is that's how I was born. They're on Appa's back, like flying, and Sokka's like, "You got to give girls room when they're sewing," and she's like, "What's that supposed to mean?" And he's like, "Girls are good at sewing and cooking, and guys are good at this, that, and the other, and hunting and fighting." And she's like, "All done with your pants, and look what a great job I did!" And like throws them, and there's still like a big old dick hole in it, and I'm like, "Ha, ah, it'd be me as fuck." There's <laughs> a huge hole. Oh, Appa's also probably my favorite character in this series. I could just relate to a big, fat thing that doesn't want to move despite being able to fly. <laughs> but, uh, no, the introduction of Aang is probably my favorite thing because it really sets the tone for the series. Because he's just like, come closer, my child, and you get that spooky vibe yes. in this. You want to go pig with That would be me in the face of adversity, though, when they're like, you have this daunting responsibility and war is on the horizon, and I'm just like, I'm just going to travel around the world, run away, and pet a bunch of fucking animals and ignore my responsibilities, because that's what I've been doing for 27 years now. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to adopt pets that I don't have the means to take care of properly, and just ignore the fact that there's a greater purpose to my life. Do they ever explain... Why all the animals just so fucked up? Because the minute he said penguin sledding, my mom loves penguins, so I'm like, oh, I need to show her this show. And then they showed the penguins, and I'm like, that's not a... And they're actually a hybrid of penguins and otters? Yeah, like, that's not a penguin. So, <clears throat> so they never explain this, but when they make it to the capital of the Earth Kingdom towards the end of the second season, the Earth King has just a pet bear, and they're like, oh, a platypus bear? And he's like, no, a bear. And someone else is like, oh, like a polar bear, dog bear? And they're like, no, a bear. And they're like, oh, he means a gorilla bear from the Alps. And he's like, no, it's just a fucking bear. <laughs> and it's literally just a fucking bear. And everyone's just like, what the fuck is wrong with this bear? Like, it, this is stupid. Like, no, no, it, <laughs> it was a very self-aware moment. It cuts to one of the bears from We... It cuts to Ice Bear from We Bear Bears. And he's just like... <laughs> ice, ice bear bends water and then he just starts water venting like, it's so funny mm -hmm. it's really i can't think of any other animals in the series that are not a hybrid of something yeah well i mean like they're unless they're just totally fucking made up like the canyon crawlers we were trying to figure out what the canyon crawlers actually were and i was like they're like fucking like mosquito vultures yeah or something but but like there's but even no, they never explain it. There's even a scene where Aang's talking about traveling the world and talking about all the things. He's like, I want to go ride on the back of a giant koi, and then I want to go find like the fucking predator monkeys, and then I want to go do that. Like he just keeps naming animals, and it gets more buck wild as it goes on. And like, okay, I'm down with this. I have to say, my favorite of all has to be the platypus bear. That's... I really like the platypus bear, but I also. Might have been a little drunk when we got to the end of binge-watching season one, and when I saw the, like, sea lion sea turtles, I might have just freaked the fuck <laughs> out and started screaming. Like, because I was like, I forgot those were a thing! And then you see turtle ducks later, and they're just adorable, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Like, but you know what I love? Hmm. I love all my patrons at patreon.com slash a load of BS. That's right. That's the website where you can go support fun fiction so we can keep getting on these fantastic guests and where to find them. Because I had to sp I had to spend $5,000 to get this guy on the show, so we need your yep. help. It was all in chicken wings. I just delivered them all. <laughs> And ranch. And, oh yeah, <laughs> a tub of ranch. Yeah, and ranch. Uh, just, just, 
Yeah. Ubered it right over to my house. It was great. That's right. So if you want more awesome guests like that, remember to support us on patreon.com slash BS. You get access to our Discord. Shout it out on the show of your choice every single week, like the Patreon saint of fun fiction, Joe Gennaro. And you get access to me and my co-host on a load of BS, Blake Tanner's show. You paid for this. It's a movie commentary podcast where we talk over garbage dookie films like Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector. <laughs> this is an audio format, so none of you oh. could just see the look that came across your face oh. of, like, being blessed by God. I will I will donate to Patreon if you do an M. Night Shyamalan's Last Airbender oh. shit-talking show. Oh, hell yes! I will donate my house to your Patreon. We may we may do that for March then just to get more money at patreon.com slash load of BS. But we've talked about the show, how good it is, and my eternal sin of falling asleep during it. But it's now time to see what the internet did with it. <laughs> and since you wrote, you wrote your story, so I will give you first go so you don't have to be constantly okay. reading for the last part of the show. Yes, so don't hate me, but I didn't write the long one. I wrote the short one. No, 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 that's fair. We want that. <laughs> because the short, I actually found a really good one for the long one, but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> let me pull up my fan fiction. So this is called Avatar the Hundredth Year, Book One, Water, Lost Chapter, Suki Alone. In the days following the attack on Kyoshi, everyone aided in the rebuilding of the village. Luckily, the fight had been short-lived, and the Avatar's quick thinking using the Unagi to drench the flames had aided in our fare. Only a couple of homes and storefronts suffered more than superficial damages, and we were well on our way to a full recovery. However, the village was at, at debate. Had the, had the encounter put us on the Avatar or on the Fire Nation's radar, would they seek us out for aligning ourselves so blatantly with the Avatar? This possibility, coupled with the terrible rumors of their wrath that spread in the docks, had understandably caused panic amongst us, including the Kyoshi warriors. This is terrible. Now that the Fire Nation knows the Avatar has returned, things can only get worse, one of my sisters reiterated during training. We're going to have to be on high alert now. But the Avatar has returned, another said. Things will get better, not worse. The world can finally have hope again. But he's merely a boy. There's no way he stands a chance against the Fire Lord. She let a small giggle escape, especially if his right hand is that water tribe oaf. The other girls laughed at her insult. Enough chattering, ladies, I snapped. Focus on your training. How do you expect to fend off firebenders? By gossiping with them? The others silenced themselves, but my comrade straightened herself and continued her commentary. Oh, Suki, you, you yourself humiliated the poor boy. Your point, exactly? I get it. He was cute, but growing soft and such a chauvinistic hog monkey, I thought more highly of you. I spun on my heel, extending my arm and striking her in the tender cavity of her arm with my fan. She went, stumbling back and falling. Several of the others gasped. Ouch, what was that for? My point, I said. You're not focused, which makes you sloppy. Yes, Sokka was a bit foolish, but he isn't a bad person, and at least he is aiding in the war, so let's show a little bit of respect. Respect? Yes, respect, I reiterated. I will not show respect for that fool, she snarled. She jumped to her feet, flourishing her fans brazenly. But I struck again, tripping her. Suki, I do not care if you don't have respect for him, I said calmly from above her, but you will respect me. I extended my hand to her, helping her back up. Everyone is dismissed. The group broke up under the tension of my exchange, leaving the dojo as quickly as they could. I continued train until the sun began to set, pondering everything. The Avatar's visit had impacted me in a way I was not prepared for, I had been thinking heavily about the challenge ahead of him. I also thought of Sokka and his sister, how they had selflessly left their own tribe to accompany him on his journey. Guilt resonated in me oddly. Guilt for not hopping on the back of that bison to aid them as well. Guilt for having succumbed to the complacency Kyoshi Island had fallen into after the war fell. Guilt for not ha having done enough. That was when I decided to visit the village leader. I made my way towards his quarters. He was an understanding man. Surely he would agree with me. I called his name, entering the home respectfully. Ah, Suki, he called, joining me in the room. Welcome. Thank you, I replied, bowing. May we talk? Briefly, he said. I have a meeting with some of the other village leaders to discuss the incident, and I must prepare. Good, that's actually what I wanted to discuss. In what regard? 
Well, sir, I said, taking a deep breath, I think that Kiyoshi should be taking a more active role in this war. Excuse me? A more active... He cut himself short. Suki, we have stayed out of this war for nearly a hundred years. That's my point. We focused only on ourselves for this whole time. I believe it's time that we aid the rest of the world. And how do you propose we do that exactly? Myself and the other warriors can fight, I said. Un the Kyoshi warriors are a formidable force. Our skills can be put to better use than, than what? Protecting our home? Yes. I clenched my fists, anger boiling inside of me. The Avatar has returned and it is going is and is going to take the fight to the Fire Lord. We owe it to him to help in any way we can. Aang is the Avatar, he retorted. He doesn't need you or the other girls to aid in his destiny. You all have a destiny of your own to uphold, and it is here on Kyoshi Island. How how can you say that? I was fuming, pacing aggressively. You saw what they did here. You hear the stories in the docks. You know that we have been fortunate. How much longer do you think this 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 luck is going to hold out? I have made my decision. You and the others, I cut him short. Avatar Kyoshi didn't dedicate a significant part of her lifetime to training the women of this island in the art of defensive combat and self-respect to let anybody make decisions for us, I snapped. And that includes you. He was stunned by my outburst. I will take this up with the other Kyoshi warriors myself. The following day, as the others arrived for training, I braced myself in hopes of a better outcome than I had experienced with the village leader. Everyone came in, confused by my request for them to take a seat rather than begin practicing their forms. When everyone had arrived, I faced the group. Ladies, I've been thinking a lot, I began. I've been thinking about our outfit, what we stand for, what we're capable of. I know that the recent attack on our village is of major concern, understandably. Everyone nodded in agreement. But I want us to take a moment to consider the fact that we experience that what we experience was but a fraction of what many other Earth Kingdom villages and townships have experienced. They were not fortunate enough to have the Avatar there when their homes were set ablaze. They didn't have a group of powerful warriors to defend them. Instead, many of them lost everything. Many of them have lost their own lives in similar situations. A solemn moment of silence overtook the group, everyone looking down in respect. This concerns me greatly. Despite Kiyoshi Island's fortunate situation, I'm afraid that it is more fragile than we may have tricked ourselves into believing. As many of us have said, the Avatar's return is both a source of hope as well as a source of concern. Will he defeat the Fire Lord? Personally, I believe he will, but only if everyone behind him is willing to step up and aid in facing this threat. I had all of their ears on me. And that includes us, ladies. It is time we make the difficult decision between what is right and what is customary. I know that leaving Kiyoshi Island to aid in the war is not something to be taken lightly, but it is what I've decided to do for myself, and I want you all to consider joining me in this endeavor. But Suki, one, one attempted to say, but I cut her off, I will be leaving at sunrise. Meet me at the dock if you wish to accompany me. I didn't stay to train, instead taking the evening to prepare for my voyage. I would head north, hopefully catching up to Aang and the others. From there, I would join them in their pursuit to end the destruction the Fire Nation had unleashed on the world, and I did hope for my sisters to join me, but as the sun rose over the Kyoshi docks, I found myself casting off in a small boat, alone and disappointed. Aww. All on her own. All on my own. <laughs> All alone. Now, that was good, and mine's not actually mine's written very <laughs> mine's written very well i will say the description does feature the phrase written in microsoft office by jacob davis yes go jacob david good work um I, well i wanted to do i have not done a good crossover in a while so i was like what is, what is avatar crossed over with i found this is titillating i found i shit you not at least four different Mama Mia crossovers, and I don't know why. <laughs> like wow. there, okay. there, there are a few where I'm like, "How did this get crossed over properly? How did you do this?" Like there was a. Let's see. Let's look at some of the best. Uh, Wizards of Waverly Place has a crossover. Uh, Torchwood. Phantom of the Opera, H2O, Just Add Water. The one that interested me, but I couldn't find a good one, was Frozen. Because I feel like Elsa <laughs> is basically a waterbender. Basically. Basically. But, 
But mine, I'm not going to give you the title because it will spoil what it's crossed over with. But uh, let's get into it. Prologue. The Elements and the Avatar. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. These are the four elements that make up our world. With that comes the people that have garnered the skills needed to control them in ways that, to some, could have been pure magic. Those people are called benders. In order to maintain balance between the elements, someone special would have to gain a mastery of all four. This special person is known as the Avatar, and only he would be able to keep the balance between the four elements. Almost a millennium ago, Aang, Katara, and Sokka teamed up to single-handedly bring peace to the four nations— Back then, Aang was the Avatar. Fast forward to today. The setting, Le Pays Madoui, which in French is the Cursed Country. The home of the Smurfs and their arch-nemesis Gargamel. Yes! (laughs) For years, Gargamel had truly hated the Smurfs, and thus with his pet cat, Azrael, he had attempted time and time again to capture the Smurfs for his own demented purposes, but he failed time and again, thanks to the quick-thinking resourcefulness of the Smurfs and their leader, Papa Smurf. But little did Gargamel of that and of that many matter any of the Smurfs su- suspect that the new Avatar was right in front of their noses, right in the Smurf village nonetheless. The other Smurfs had been seeing her every single day, but the only thing they knew was her own origin. Her name was Smurfette. Created by Gargamel around 1853, she was sent to the Smurf village to deceive and seduce the Smurfs, only to return them to her wizard creator so he could use them for his own demented purposes. However, Papa Smurf had other ideas. Using his magic, he converted Smurfette from evil to good, and so she stayed that way. But she thought that being converted to a true Smurf wasn't enough. She felt that a higher calling had come to her. In a dream one night, she had saw the previous Avatar, Korra, who told her that she was next in line to become an Avatar. It was then that Smurfette knew that she had a destiny to take on. This is the story of how Smurfette became a powerful being in a small package. Author's note, I've had an idea for this fanfic moments before I started writing this. Always a good beginning. Watching the <laughs> watching the Avatar series gave me an idea. Why not put Smurfette in the role of Avatar? Thus this fanfic, an exploration into Smurfette's Avatar journey. Please read and review. Please tell me there's more chapters to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this, she's, it's still, I guess, it was published in 2017 and has not been updated. So we're reading all that came out of this person's brain. I guess it's a bit surprising to see that this half-assed idea about Smurfette as an avatar apparently didn't have legs. But um, <laughs> chapter one, Visions of Elements. It was a very happy day in the Smurf village. Everyone was hard at work on their own little project. Handy was working on a new model of Mushroom House. Jokey, as per the norm, was pranking the other Smurfs with his gift bombs. Papa Smurf was conducting his newest experiment of the day, and Hefty was bulking up on his weight set. Smurfette was also going about her usual household chores. She was watering her plants this time. She had already cleaned up her house to some degree, and a Smurf passed by her, making a salutation towards her. Hey, Smurfette! It was Brainy, the nerd of the village. What are you doing there? Oh, Brainy, good morning. Just watering my roses. Well, Brainy said in reply, you'd best not water your plants too much. Papa Smurf always says every drop counts. Besides, you wouldn't want to cause a drought. Well, that was it. Smurfette had just about had just about all she could take of Brainy's incessant yammering. The mere presence of the Smurf was one thing, but this was another. She doubled up and landed a left cross on him. Holy shit! Was immediately taking down Brainy. <laughs> Brainy flew a few hundred feet, few hundred feet before landing in a bush. He got a up and a Smurf. Yeah, and brushed himself off. She might be cute, Brainy said, but she qu- packs quite a punch. What the fuck? Could you just imagine if you were watching Smurfs and then all of a sudden Smurfette <laughs> just decks one of them? Oh my god. Smurfette looked in the direction where she punched Brainy. Sometimes, she said, he's just too smart for his own good. If only he'd just shut up for once. She went back to watering her plants. But just then, a vision appeared in her head. A figure was manipulating water in astounding ways, her eyes glowing in doing so. Smurfette snapped back to reality. What did she just see? She shrugged it off and went on with her day. 
It was lunchtime. Smurfette just recently ordered a supreme pizza from Chef Smurf. She then went to her stove to boil water for tea. When she brought out the tea bags, another vision appeared in her head. Another figure was controlling fire, but he never got burned or hurt by the flames. The figure thrust his hands forward and a jet of flame burst forth, snapping Smurfette back to reality again. What did I just see? Smurfette thought. Someone shooting fire from his hands? She shook her head. That just couldn't be possible with current magic. Besides, fire can't be controlled, yet, anyway. Anyway, she sh again, she shrugged it off, just as Chef made the delivery. Well, at least her pizza was fresh. It was the late afternoon, and Smurfette decided to help Farmer Smurf with his crops. She was using a plow to loosen the ground in order to make space for Farmer to plant seeds for Smurfberry plants. And again, it happened, as it had done twice before— a vision of a person manipulating the earth around them, but without the need for tools or equipment. He kicked up big slabs of rock, smashed them together, and even turned them into dust. Smurfette, are you okay? Farmer tried to snap Smurfette out of her trance. Smurfette! Smurfette! She snapped back to reality for the third time today. What just happened? She said. I don't know, but you don't really seem too focused today, Farmer said. You should try to get some rest now. I'll finish up here. Thanks, Farmer. It seemed as though she was starting to get out of touch with reality. So far, Smurfette has had three visions of people manipulating just as many elements. She didn't know what they meant, or for that matter, how she had anything to do with those visions. She decided that it would be best to take a nice walk in the forest. Perhaps the soft breeze of the outdoors would take her mind off of things and ultimately bring her closure. But again, for the fourth time in a day, it had to happen. Another vision went into her head. Another person was controlling the air. He managed to make a gale-force wind powerful enough to run the city of Pittsburgh for at least three months. All right, weird analogy, but all right. He then proceeded, yeah. to, he proceeded to create a powerful force of nature, the tornado. The man-made force of air came straight on towards her when she snapped out of it yet again. She decided that the heat of the day had gotten to her and went back home. And it was early evening. Smurfette went inside her house, ignoring any contact from the other Smurfs. She just went straight to bed, thoughts circulating in her mind. How could anyone control nature like that? I mean, that was attempted before when Handy created a weather machine, but not with as much precision. It was impossible to control nature. It's one of those rare delusions. Yeah, that was it. She was having a delusion. <laughs> that caused her to lose touch with reality. She shook her head, driving out those thoughts. Ultimately, she dismissed it as a temporary mental problem, nothing more. She went to sleep. But little did she know that this wasn't a delusion. This was a sign. A sign that she had untold power, power that she hadn't discovered yet. The thing that she needed was the thing was that she needed the proverbial keys to unlock this power. The power of the Avatar. Author's note. You know, initially I thought of other ways to build the story up, but in the end, I've decided to have Smurfette experience these visions of other avatars bending their home elements so I can build up to what can only be referred to as the realization. Smurfette is due to find out why she got those visions in the next chapter. Then the real work begins. P please read and review. And that's all they've written. <laughs> I'm just trying my hardest not to laugh at the fact that they did a really good job referencing Handy building the weather machine because I specifically remember watching that episode of the Smurfs. So <laughs> kudos yeah. on upholding canon, at least. Um. Exactly. I was just waiting for... I, I thought of other ways to build the story up. But in the end, I decided to have Smurfette just deck nerdy halfway across the entire <laughs> village. Just fucking yeets nerdy. Like, <laughs> I fucking love it. Like, Which I feel like... I feel like is a very Cora thing to do. Yeah, Smurf. Cora's, that would be her first response is to just deck someone halfway across, you know, the city. So Smurfette is basically Smurf Cora, is what you're saying, basically, because mm -hmm. you know she she has the you know the a, a, a fist strong enough to power the city of Pittsburgh for an entire day, like. <laughs> Yeah, I just hope that, like, if he did continue this, the beating up brainy thing was, like, you know how Sokka always gets hit by the water when Katara's yes. trying to bit? Like, I hope that's it. And she just keeps, like, yeeting him around. With She learns how to bend air and just tosses him halfway across the village again, sets him on fire, drowns him. I'm going to start a Patreon specifically for this fan fiction to 
be animated so I can watch it. Like, oh, oh, if that was a thing, like I've had fan fictions in the past where I'm like, I need more of this. I need this person to come out of the woodwork and be like, thank you for reading it. I'm going to write 50 more chapters. And this is another one, I think. That's good. It's really good. It kind of makes me want to do a cross, a funny crossover for a few yeah, yeah. things. So I'm going I'm to keep that in my back pocket. Oh, dude, good crossovers are the best. If you go back and listen to the John Cena one, that was my favorite crossover ever between John Cena and Oron High School Host Club. I'm going to have to give that a shot because that sounds beautiful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely buck wild it was. Uh, like the shirts you can get at merch.loadofpurebs.com. That's right. That's the website where you can buy, buy merchandise for all of the BS network programs from a load of BS to Fight Boys. And then, of course, Fun Fiction has merchandise over there, which I need to update because... The Gravity Falls shirt still has my old co-host on it, but now this would just mean it looks like Dipper really sad in front of the side with no Mabel there. Uh, but yeah, if you want it, or of course we've got other stuff, we've got the official BS Network boozy sippy cup that you can just drink your favorite alcoholic wares out of. We've got water glasses that you can take to work with you with our logo on it, all available at merch.aloadofpurebs.com. So... I just want to say I'm so happy to have someone who will actually write on this show because I've had to write for the past few episodes and I'm like, my brain has turned to mush. Yes, I completely understand that. Um, I I really enjoy writing fan fiction. I had a hard time with this one only because all of my ideas, I was like, no, that would be in the book two timeline or no, that would be in the book three timeline. And I'm like, I'm just going to rewatch the first season and find something. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I got to the end and I was like, fuck, I'm out of ideas and we're recording it like tomorrow. Like, what am I going to do? But <clears throat> so that's why I wrote the short one. Oh, well, that's every single time I write for this show. Don't worry. It's, oh, no, we record in <laughs> 10 minutes. Let's just crank something out real quick, baby. You just you pretend to be looking at the screen and you're like, I am ad libbing, ad libbing. <laughs> I'm violently typing. It, but rewatching is actually a very good way because we also do uh, a series on the podcast, The Adventure Zone. Mm-hmm. And I was re listening to that and I just heard, like, what, like, with fan fiction, all you have to do is, like, hear or see one thing. And from that, you're like, that's the whole story. Let's go, baby. Yeah, just spirals. Yeah. Uh, but I will leave it to you. I don't know if it has a title or what. It does. So let me start by saying. It was really hard to find fan fiction that took place during season one. But I'm going to go with an alternate universe one. And this one is really cool and really well written. And I believe you said you'll be putting the link in your show notes. I really recommend reading this one. Um, This is called Destiny Deterred. And it's okay. an alternate re- universe where... Aang was never found by Katara and Sokka, but was instead oh. found ten years later. Oh, okay. Book one, water, chapter one, the boy in the iceberg. South Pole, ten years after Sozin's comet. It was a clear, still afternoon in the late autumn. The hunting party, small as it was, had already returned for the season, and the winter stores in the South Pole's only village were well-stocked, still on a whim, the two of them had decided to go fishing. Katara carefully paddled the canoe amid the, amid the ice flows. She used slow, broad strokes, disturbing the water as little as possible, keeping their pace steady and avoiding collision with the ice. It would have been easier to do with her bending, but she preferred to do things by hand from time to time. She supposed in some way she was still proving to Sokka that she could, even if Sokka was far away in the Earth Kingdom, and even if she, had her, she and her brother were both too old for such childish competition. Sitting in the front of the canoe, her husband held a spear at the ready in one hand, eyes trained for any sign of life beneath the water. There was a silvery flash of something just ahead of them, and he launched the spear in the perfect arc, quickly hauling it back by the line gripped on his other hand to find nothing. He sighed in frustration. Hey, Katara said cheerfully. If we don't catch anything, it's not like we'll starve. No, he agreed. I'll just still be the worst fisherman in the entire village. She laid her paddle across her knees with their course brought them into more open waters further from the ice. It's okay, she reassured him. You have other talents we keep you around for. He gave her a grunt of acknowledgement as he hefted the spear again. 
eyes open once more and scanning the water. Idly, Katara reached out with her bending, feeling the vastness of the ocean around them, its soothing push and pull. She remembered the years before she'd had any formal training in water bending, when she'd been, she'd been able to feel the water calling to her but hadn't been able to answer. The steady rhythm of the ocean had been almost maddening at that point. With an easy flick of her wrist, Katara drew a shimmering orb of water out of the sea, an orb that just happened to contain a single dark-scaled fish, now trapped. Zuko, she called out to her husband, whose gaze was still directed ahead. He gave no response, too fixated on his task. Zuko, look, she called again, floating the globe of water nearer to him. Just as he drew back his arm to launch the spear, the butt of his spear hit the water bubble, which burst, soaking Zuko's parka. Zuko's parka. The fish flopped out of the canoe and back into the freedom of the sea. Zuko turned and glared at her over his shoulder, his right eye almost narrow, almost as narrow as his left. Stop showing off, he said irritably. Katara laughed affectionately and bended the water out of his clothes as a peace offering. I'm sorry, she said. I guess I'm not that good at fishing either. Zuko laid down his spear in defeat. Why did we even come out here, he complained, though Katara could see a hint of a smile tugging at one corner of his mouth. It was your idea, dear, she reminded him. Zuko turned around fully, sitting backwards in the canoe to face her. He leaned forward so their noses were almost touching. What if I have a different idea now, he asked, no longer fighting the earnest grin. Hmm, Katara replied, tilting her head to one side as if considering. I don't think you'll catch any fish that way. She tapped one finger playfully against his lips. We won't starve, Zuko said with a shrug, leaning leaning in closer still. Katara giggled and was thrown grace, ungracefully on top of him as the canoe collided with something solid and came to a sudden halt. Stupid, Katara chastised herself as they regained their balance. She'd been too busy flirting with her husband to notice they had drifted back towards the very large ice flow. Zuko swore softly as the water began to pool in the bottom of the canoe. They clambered out onto the ice and hauled the damaged canoe after them. Give me the patch kit, he said. The patch kit, Katara repeated, dumbfounded. Yeah, Zuko said. You have it, don't you? I thought you had it. They stared at each other blankly for a moment as the reality of their situation sank in. Stranded on an ice floe with a damaged canoe and no way to repair it, and it was entirely their own fault. Zuko's mouth set in a tight frown, just as a hint of smoke in in the breath he forced out of his nose. Katara was as mad at herself as she was at him, and she hadn't really intended to lash out with her bending as she turned away and gave a frustrated yell, stomping one foot. Nevertheless, the ice trembled as the heel of her boot connected with it, bucking and fracturing at her outburst, or perhaps for some other reason. Something large and round was suddenly breaking through the ice from beneath them. It must have been an iceberg trapped under the water, though it was unlike any Katara had ever seen before. Zuka caught her hand as they fought for their balance. When the tremor stopped, Katara looked Katara took one hesitant step towards the massive object, a swirling sphere of ice. It couldn't be natural, she realized. Someone had made the iceberg with water bending, but why? She peered closer and saw within a small, dark shape. Zuko, she gasped, squeezing his hand tighter. There's a boy in there. What? Zuko asked incredulously. They moved carefully towards the iceberg, wary of the ice be- <clears throat> being unstable. Zuko looked closer. You're right, he said in surprise. How would someone get inside an iceberg? The same way we're going to get him out, Katara replied. She raised one hand above her head, brought it down with a sweeping motion, and pushed. The icy sphere cracked, uh, cracked down the middle from, a top the, from top to bottom, and a blast of warm, misty air shot out from the inside of the iceberg, followed by a beam of blue light straight into the air. Definitely not natural, Katara thought, as they shielded their eyes from the nearly br- blinding brightness. The mist soon cleared and the light faded, revealing the iceberg now fully opened, and in the middle of it, a boy dressed in bright orange and yellow. His eyes and the arrows tattooed on his ha- hands and his bald head glowed blue for just a moment, then faded as he went limp and collapsed. Katara and Zuko rushed to the boy's side. Do you think... He can't be Fire Nation, can he? Katara asked as she knelt beside him. The boy was breathing shallowly, shallowly but had no apparent injuries and showed no sign of frostbite. He certainly wasn't Water Tribe, and the way he dressed suggested fire more than earth. No, Zuko answered quickly and then continued in disbelief. Those are airbender tattoos. Katara looked up at him sharply. Are are you sure? Uh, I'm sure, he replied, and she knew he, of all people, would know how to recognize an airbender if and when he ever saw one. But before they could discuss the implications of his tattoos any further, the boy took a deep, shuddering breath and his eyes flickered open. He glanced around in confusion for a moment before meeting Katara's gaze. Can you can you hear me? She asked gently. Are you hurt? 
I need, the voice said in a hoarse whisper, I need to ask you something. All right, Katara said, reaching for her water skin. She wondered if he was fully aware of his surroundings. Maybe he had a concussion. Suddenly the boy's face brightened and his eyes opened fully, clearly, and alert. Will you go penguin sledding with me? He asked cheerfully, sitting up. Katara sat back on her heels. What? Zuko asked in surprise. Penguin sledding, the boy repeated, leaping to his feet with far more energy than someone who had until recently been frozen in a solid ice had any right to have. That's why I came to the South Pole. It's lots of fun. Do you know where the penguins are right now? Can you show me? Wait a minute, Zuko cut cut off the boy's chatter as Katara got on her feet. Back up. Who are you? Oh, right. I'm Aang, the boy said with a bright smile and a polite bow. Nice to meet you. Aang, Katara said. Are, are you sure you're all right? You were... She trailed off, unsure of how to tell him. If he really didn't know. You were frozen in an iceberg, Zuko said bluntly. Trust him to be direct. Huh, Aang said, looking around at him and... Sh- Around him at the shattered remains of the icy sphere that had encased him moments ago. I I guess I was. He didn't seem particularly bothered by the idea. How did you, Zuka began, but he was interrupted by Aang. Appa, the boy cried out suddenly, sounding concerned at last. Where is he? He must have been frozen with me. Who's Appa? Katara asked. A deep, lowing sound answered her question. An enormous shaggy head emerged from the water behind Aang. The boy gave a cry of delight and ran towards the creature to whom the head belonged, a massive beast with wide-set eyes and a long, pointed horns. Only the saddle affixed to his back, which which evidenced the creature's domestication, kept Katara from being afraid. This is Appa, he explained, patting the creature affectionately. He's my flying bison. That thing can fly, Katara asked skeptically. Right now all it was doing was treading water, and it didn't have wings or any other apparent means of flight. She looked to Zuko, who merely shrugged. They say all air nomads had flying by since he confirmed, but obviously I've never seen one in person. Really? Aang asked, turning to look at them in surprise, with one hand still on the bison's snout. Well, Katara said carefully, giving Zuko a warning look, lest he bluntly reveal anything else. Nobody's seen any air nomads in a really long time. Aang stared at her uncomprehendingly for a long moment. Wow, he said at last. I didn't realize the South Pole was that isolated. He looked at Zuko. You're here, after all. Zuko tensed. What do you mean by that, he asked, uncomfortable, an uncomfortable edge to his voice. Katara laid a hand on his arm. Oh, right, I, I thought you were Fire Nation, Aang answered, rubbing the back of his head awkwardly. <laughs> Sorry, I just assumed. Katara felt Zuko relax slightly. It's okay, she said. He is Fire Nation. But it's not just the South Pole. We've never seen any air nomads anywhere. Aang shook his head. We're all over the place, he insisted, but before Katara could think of a way to gently inform him that actually air nomads were not all over the place but were as far as anyone knew an extinct race, he shrugged and changed the subject. Anyway, he said brightly, what about those penguins? I think we should focus on getting back to the village, Zuko said. Katara nodded in agreement. With their canoe still useless, she'd have to water bend the ice flow back towards, the, back towards home, and an ice flow was considerably less maneuverable. Can the bison really fly, she asked Zuko. Of course, Aang insisted as Zuko shrugged again. It's possible, Zuko conceded. I always assumed that was just a legend, but the badger moles can really earthbend, after all. Aang gave Zuko a strange look. You've been to the Earth Kingdom and seen badger moles, but you've never met an airbender? He asked incredulously. Zuko and Katara exchanged an awkward glance, but nothing, but said nothing. Never mind, Aang continued. Appa really can fly. Climb on and I'll prove it to you. He leapt effortlessly to sit atop the bison's head, landing gently in a cross-legged position with impossible ease. Impossible unless Katara met Zuko's eyes again and knew he was thinking the same thing, airbending. With comparably far less grace, Zuko and Katara climbed up to sit in the saddle on the bison's back. Aang took the reins and tied to, <clears throat> the reins tied to the beast's horns and said with a grin, Now watch this. Appa, yip yip. He flicked the reins and the bison gave a great bellow, lurched forward, rose out of the water a few feet, and promptly splashed back down. Wow, Zuko deadpan. That really doesn't live up to the stories. Aang gave a nervous laugh. I'm sure Appa's just tired, aren't you, buddy? He patted the bison's head affectionately again. Appa snored, snorted as if in an agreement, but he did begin to swim forward in the direction of the village. They might not be flying, but they could still get home this way. That evening, after Aang was asleep, Zuko came and sat, to, sat next to Katara by the fire while she sewed. Arvik was going through a growth spurt, their son, and would need new shirts and pants soon, especially with winter coming. Sewing, she had found, was a good task for distraction, if she needed to not think about something for a while. Right now, she wanted more than anything not to think about that afternoon's council meeting, or what she knew would be the result when they announced their decision in the morning. 
Zuko said nothing for a while, but the fire rose and fell with him in time with his breathing. He did that when he had something weighing on his mind. Out of the corner of her eyes, she watched him, her Fire Nation husband dressed in Water Tribe blues, undoubtedly wrestling with the question of whether they should send the last airbender to what was left of the Earth Kingdom. He had a way of taking on the weight of the whole world without even realizing he was doing it. They're right, Zuko, finally said in a soft voice, bringing up the very subject she had been trying unsuccessfully to avoid. Katara put down her sewing with a sigh as Zuko stared into the flames. The Avatar can't stay here, he said reluctantly. Then he can't stay anywhere, Katara countered. We'll make any, he'll make anywhere he is a target. Maybe, Zuko agreed, but the underground is already a target anyway, so not much harm done by sending him there. Not much harm, Katara repeated, shaking her head. I can't believe we're seriously talking about sending a 12-year-old into a war zone. Zuko shrugged one shoulder. He's not much younger than I was. And you want to father your, follow your father's example all of a sudden, she shot back. His jaw tightened, and the low fire before them sparked up an inch or so higher. He was silent for a moment. It's not the same, he finally said, turning to look at her. He's the Avatar, Katara, he said sadly. What choice do we have? Couldn't we try to protect him, she asked desperately. Keep him safe, at least until he's older. He's only a child. There are other children in our village, Zuko gently reminded her. If the Fire Nation raids start again, you know what will happen. And she did, of course. Not as well as the other tribes people, perhaps, but well enough. She can never forget... Don't we have to protect them from that, Zuko went on. Don't we have to protect our son from that? Katara shook her head. Does protecting our son have to mean sacrificing another child? We won't be, Zuko insisted. We won't send him alone. He'll have protection as much as we can afford, and when he gets to the underground, they'll do their best to keep him safe, and we'll have done our best for everyone. He sounded so determined. She knew his mind was made up, and she could hardly fault his reasoning. Truthfully, all of the same arrangements, arguments had already been occur- had already occurred to her, even that afternoon during the council meeting. Still, her heart protested. This couldn't be the only way. You know what they'll decide, don't you? Katar asked. Who the council will send with him? Zuko blinked in her confusion. One of the warriors, surely. Oh no, Katara said, getting to her feet and pacing the room. There are too few warriors here as it is, and half of them are untested teenagers. They can't spare any of them. And of course the healers couldn't do it. She stood still, folding her arms over her chest. They'll vote to send you, Zuko. Zuko's good eye widened. They'd want me to bring the Avatar? But admit it, she said. Isn't that what you want, after all, to rejoin the war? Why would you suggest that, he said. Because you hate it here, she accused. You hate the cold. You hate the winter darkness. You're restless. There's a war being fought, and you think you should be in it. That's not... Zuko began, then sighed and ran a hand through his long hair. Look, you're not wrong about that, but being here... He looked away as if ashamed. My family is here, he said simply. This is where I want to be, even if no one else wants me here. Then stay, she urged, taking both his hands. Zuko shook his head. If you're right, he said, if they choose me, it, it, it just has to be done. Someone has to do it. He looked back at her and met her eye with pained resolve. I don't want to go, but if I'm chosen, I will. Katara closed her eyes and leaned into him. He slid his hands from her grasps to wrap his arms around her, and she rested her cheek against his collarbone. It won't be for long, he assured her. She could feel the rumble of his voice in his chest. Once I get him there, he won't need me anymore, and I'll come straight back home. You might not make it back, Katara said softly. She barely dared to voice the words, the deepest fear of her heart. But he had to know. Anything could happen to you out there. Zuko pressed a kiss to the top of her head. That was always true, he said, for both of us. When we were with the underground, he was right. Death or capture had been risks they had lived with for years. But there was a reason we left, Katara reminded him. A good reason. Leaning back, she looked up at him again. You're worried about what will happen to our son if the village is attacked. I'm worried about what will happen if he loses his father. I guess you'll have to marry Pamuk, Zuko attempted to joke. He's the last eligible bachelor in the village. Katara laughed in spite of herself. That stuck-up northerner, she protested. Never. Sometimes you can be so provincial, Katara, he chided, through, <clears throat> though he smiled as he did. So prejudiced. Hey, she said, squeezing his hands. I married you, didn't I? Zuko laughed a little sadly, and the stuck-up northerners still haven't forgiven you for it. She shrugged. That's their problem. After a moment, she added bitterly, if Emmerich were half the man my father is, he would bring Aang to the, res- to the resistance himself. But instead, he'll use his rank in ex- as an excuse to stay here. 
Katara leaned into him, his embrace once more. It's not fair, she protested weakly. It's not fair that Aang has to leave or that they'll send you just because she trailed off, hesitating to voice what she suspected was the real reason Zuku would be chosen. Because they don't like me, he finished her thought for her. Looking at it this way, look at it this way, at least it means they trust me. It's still not fair, she insisted, blinking back sudden tears. Zuko was quiet for a moment. It was war, Katara, he said at last, holding her tighter. It was never going to be fair. And that is the end of that. Oh, Katara and Zuko are my OTP. Like <laughs> You found my OTP. I had to cut a lot of, like flashback sections out of that because the first chapter was like ten thousand words but <laughs> oh yeah it's yeah. so good though. i know how that gets it's so good oh i I, re- I really enjoyed that a lot um also i we forgot to talk about probably one of my favorite things it is pro- also probably because i fell asleep during it it's the concept of it takes years to master all four elements. Anyways, the comet's coming in like two months, so better get They're on like, it. You have literally nine months to destroy fire-breathing Hitler. Get on it, kid. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but Avatar Fire Stick. What will help? What will happen to me? Uh, so- Pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you for joining me, Sweeps. Uh, I, I gi- loved it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I will give you the floor to promote whatever you would like to promote, whether that be your Twitter, your show, or what else. Oh, okay, cool. Well, uh, like I said at the beginning, I'm one half of the Associates Anonymous podcast, the podcast where we kick it with you every Wednesday to discuss the horrors of working in customer service. Um, you can give us a listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Music, you name it, we're there. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash associates anonymous, Instagram at associates anonymous podcast or Twitter at associates underscore anon. Um, you can also send us your own fun retail customer service, any of that kind of crazy story to associates anonymous podcast at gmail.com. And we would love to have you all in the audience. So thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. And you can find me on Twitter at Scotty Mo S C O T T Y E M O. Buy all my books on Amazon. Just look up Scotty Moore and you will find them, ladies and gentlemen. Or of course, go to audibletrial.com slash BS Network. Get a free 30 day trial and you can get a free copy of any of my audiobooks just like that. So check that out. Check out all the other shows at a load of purebs.com. And remember to support us on Patreon or by picking up some merch or just by rating, subscribing, uh, leaving a comment on the video. We love getting feedback from you guys so do that and follow us on twitter at fun fiction show ladies and gentlemen but until next time sweeps yes i know i know uh you probably don't know how to end this show but you see the world was fine the world was calm but it all changed when baby hitler attacked so stay away from baby hitler Baby fire breathing Hitler. Baby fire breathing Hitler. <laughs> <laughs>